And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really wants to house train a dog. Hi, folks. Welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yet again, boy, that orchestra makes me happy. The music, when they swing into it, and they swing, it makes me and Colonel Jeff happy. Happier than when we walked into the studio here, and we're mighty happy when we do that. That, of course, is the Pat Mizak Orchestra and the Maggie the Dog Dancers featuring boy tenor Casey Locke asking the musical question, Who does take guff? What is guff? If I have a lot of surplus guff, where can I dispose of it? Well, troubling but terrific questions. And uh, I'll tell you more about Maggie the Dog Dancers, by the way, a little later. But uh, Casey Locke, it's a good question there. Who does take guff? What is guff? If I have a lot of surplus guff, where can I dispose of it? And I think guff, I talked about this with Colonel Jeff, I think guff just means, you know, uh, it's an older way of of saying, a slang word of saying, uh, you know, hey, I don't take guff. I don't take any guff. You giving me guff? Because I don't take guff. Don't hand me that guff. So I think it's I think it's a combination of crankiness or bad behavior or just a mean spirit when, uh, hey, that guy gave me a lot of guff. I don't like guff because I don't take guff. It's funny that it's always take, too. I don't understand why that has to be. Who takes, hey, I don't take guff from you. So uh, it's a good question of Casey Locke. Who does take guff? Well, I have a feeling we don't know each other, but I have a feeling Casey Locke does. I have a feeling he's taking a bit of guff. And you're right. You know what? You don't need to. Who does take guff? Maybe you do, but you don't need it. What is guff? Well, guff is something you don't need, as I just said. But also, it's just, what is guff? Guff is anger and Bad behavior to you that you really don't need. And part three, which is a very good question. If I have a lot of surplus guff, where can I dispose of it? That's a terrific question because you can't sell it. It's not like because it's surplus guff, you can do what they used to do with surplus military goods and open an army surplus store. I don't think you can do that with guff. You can do it with army stuff because, well, let's be honest, who doesn't want well, T-shirts with Platoon 3 on it. And I'm being serious. And to have all sorts of Army things, Army axes, Army knives, Army stuff, Army helmets. And there's a lot of great room for surplus Army stores. But surplus guff, I don't think anyone's looking to open that store. And I don't think they do any business. No one wants guff. No one needs to take guff. All right? So, KC, good question. Who does take guff? Well, maybe you. What is guff? Guff is something you don't need. Guff is bad behavior towards you 
and to anyone you like. And if I have a lot of surplus guff, where can I dispose of it? Casey, I'm afraid you'll have to eat it, so to speak. I'm afraid you'll have to just put it in that part of the garage you've never visited for 12 years. And it just sits there. And when people say, you can put it in, you know, boxes from the supermarket. And uh, maybe the guff is packed. Maybe you could pack it in plastic and just keep it in the garage. But if you have a lot of surplus guff, where can you dispose of it? As far as I know, nowhere. I can tell you one thing. We don't take it on Milleronia. We don't take guff, and we don't give it. And remember, we've got two live volcanoes to prove the point. No one on Milleronia ever says, hey, I don't take that kind of guff, because suddenly the security people will say, who was giving you the guff? Who was, who was dumping that guff on you? Can you point him out? And, uh, well, that guff giver will be taking a pretty quick march to the volcano. Not Volcano 2, which is very bad, very mean, but Volcano 1, which is mean enough. It's a volcano and it's live. But at least on the way down, you could think, well, this will be over in two or three seconds. At any rate, good question, KC. Who does take guff? What is guff? If I have a lot of surplus guff, where can I dispose of it? Nowhere that I know of. And by Amazon and PayPal and my book. That's right, folks. Uh, first of all, Amazon, my favorite company in the world, still my favorite because they do three things no one else does. One, whatever you can imagine, you can get. Two, whatever you can imagine, they have. And three, whatever you order, they send us a percentage of it. That's right. For being a sponsor, Colonel Jeff and I on the show here, the Larry Miller Show, get a percentage of whatever you order on Amazon. And that, of course, goes to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two cocktails beforehand in a different place. And we did that last year with Dr. Chris. He, of course, is still taking those clog dancing lessons at the University of Solvang. And uh, that's a real place, by the way. And, well, clog dancing is a real science. So uh, we did go once, but we're going to go again, Colonel Jeff and I. Maybe, maybe, maybe we might look to invite Dr. Chris again. We like him very much, but he still may be taking his clog dancing lessons, and we'll see. But that's where the percentage of money goes to from Amazon when you order from them. So thanks. And uh, to go to Amazon, by the way, of course, don't go yourself. Because so many people make this mistake. They think, I'm tough enough. I can handle it. I can do it. No, you can't. And no, you can't. You know what? We, what you do is you go to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> <laughs> was that the saxophone or the saxophone player that last sound either way it gets your attention uh, in any case what you do is you go to our website and we have a banner that says Amazon you click on that and we will take you to Amazon 
You could, it could be the middle of the night. You can go back to sleep after you click our banner. But we'll get you to Amazon, buy gum, and then you can do whatever you want. You can look around and order whatever you like. And buy PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still the most fun name to say of any company. PayPal. And they make you feel good. PayPal is really making the world a better place, and you feel like you're helping out when you join up. Well, if you like the show, if you like The Larry Miller Show and Why Wouldn't You, and you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you, you can do it through PayPal. And we also have a banner on our website that says PayPal. But, you know, instead of saying, you know, I don't like words like donate or pay what you like, I like to say Buy us some drinks. That's right. You go to PayPal and you click our banner that says PayPal on our website. And you can send us... Well, you know, there are different levels, by the way. By buying us a drink, what that means is there are levels 1 through 5 all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! That makes me smile, too. That's from my bit, The Five Levels of Drinking, and it makes me smile. makes me happy to hear it. Uh, And, by the way, now you can become a sustaining LMDS member by setting up an automatic monthly contribution. That's right. And that's on PayPal, too, right? And uh, LMDS, of course, is the Larry Miller Drinking Society. And there are five levels there, too. There's... Booze Hound, Keg Kaiser, Lieutenant Lampshade, Martini Inspector, and Life O the Party. So, uh, well, you know, look for the contribution link on our website. Every little bit helps, and that's the truth, and it helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thanks to everyone who's contributed already. It means a lot, and it's a nice gesture, you know, when you join a group, when you do anything, when you're part of the team, and when you're helping out. Well, that's good to be. And you will never get taken to a volcano then. That's for sure. And by me. That's right. There are signed hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, and they're now for sale at store.com. ComedyFilmNerds.com. That's store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And that means a lot. I love that book. I wrote it, and it's funny, and I think you're going to think it's funny too. It's a series of pieces and articles and essays that I wrote just for that book. And uh, I'm very, I'm very glad. I'm very glad it's available, and I'm very glad. Thank you, all those who have gone there already. And thank you those who have contributed already. And you know what? There are more of you out there now. Thanks, folks. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. (laughs) All due to Colonel Jeff. That's good good comedy stuff. All right, the joke of the week. I think you're going to like this one. Colonel Jeff and I... Liked it very much. There's a very well-known 
Hollywood film actress, and she's blonde and beautiful, and she really, she's been very successful, frankly. But the truth is she's lost interest in show business, and, well, that happens to folks a lot. She's uh, she's very well known, and she's been in a lot of movies, and she said, you know what, the, the heck with it, I want to get back to the land. I want to buy a farm for myself in Iowa, and I want to go there and not have anything to do with Hollywood anymore. And she does that. She gets herself a nice farm in Iowa. And, you know, it's not that it's the biggest one in the world, but it's nice. It's about 150 acres. And she lives in an area, well, everyone knows her there, but they're glad she's there. She's very friendly, and they're very nice to her. And uh, she's glad she moved there. And she's getting everything in order, and she's really she's deciding what to plant. And she's doing everything. And at one point, she goes to her neighbor, a farmer there who has his family there, and she says to him, can you do me a favor? I... I I have a bit of a problem. Of course, everyone's looking to help her. But uh, she says, the problem is that, well, I I have two horses that came with the farm. And, well, they, they're so much alike. And I, I really don't know how to make sure always I can tell one from the other. And the farmer says, well, I, I think I can help you right off the bat. This This is easy, in fact. Shave the mane off of one of the horses. And then you'll always know, well, that's... That's one. And then the other's the other. She said, you know what? That's a great idea. Thank you. She goes back to her farm, shaves the mane off of one, and it works perfectly. The farmer had a great idea, and she's very, very happy. But, of course, as manes will do, it grew back. And once it grows back, well, she couldn't tell them apart again. And then she went back to the farmer and said, it grew back. Oh, the mane grew back. Uh, thank you, but it grew back. What? What? What should I do now? And the farmer says, don't worry, don't panic. I have another idea that's actually even better. What you do is cut one of the legs on one of the horses. Now, it's not going to hurt the horse. You know, he may not like it, but what you do is you cut that, and he'll always have a scar there that you can see, and that's how you can tell the horses apart. She does that. She goes back to her farm, cuts one of the horse's legs, and you know what? It does work perfectly again. The farmer had a great idea. But sure enough, as things will happen in life, the other horse at play went through a bramble of twigs and thorns. And, and he cut his leg, too, in the same place. And so they both have scars there. And, you know, well, she's she, upset now. She went back to the farmer. I, you know, the other one got another cut. And I... I, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do now. And the farmer says, relax, take it easy. Here's an idea that never fails. What you do is go back. I'll tell you right now, they can't both be the same size. They just can't. So you measure them both, and whichever one is taller, you'll know that one is taller, and you'll know the other one is shorter. And she said, that's a great idea. Thank you. She goes back, and there is a difference. There's a full inch difference, and she's thrilled. And she goes running back to the former and says, It worked! It worked! The black one is two inches taller than the white one! <laughs> now, that's a good joke. That's a pretty good joke. The colonel and I both liked that one very much. It's one of those jokes. There are many kinds of jokes, as you know. And from especially from our experience on the show here, but that's one of those that that ends with a, an ending you didn't expect, didn't expect it, and you kind of go, Whoa, oh, 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 you know that. 
one is black and one is white. Well, but that's a pretty good joke, and I hope you tell it to your friends and loved ones. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. Yes, The Poetry Corner. Uh, you know, every, every week I think that guy's cough is getting better, and then I realize, I don't think it is. I think it's about the same. But we'll see. We'll keep you up to date on that. This is a terrific poem. It's lovely. It's written by Sappho, S-A-P-P-H-O, and she was a Greek poet who was uh, living, she was born in 630 B.C. and lived to 570 B.C. That's a while ago. But she was very well known. She was a big deal in her time. Very popular and very famous. There were a lot of, statu a lot of statues of Sappho, all over ancient Greece. And she was born on the Isle of Lesbos. And I'm afraid you'll have to make your own jokes about that. In any case, she's a great poet, and she wrote this one. It's called On What is Best. And here we go. Some celebrate the beauty of knights or infantry or billowing flotillas at battle on the sea. Warfare has its glory, but I place far above these military splendors the one thing that you love. For proof of this contention, examine history. We all remember Helen, who left her family, her child, and royal husband to take a stranger's hand. Her beauty had no equal, but bowed to love's command." As love, then, is the power that none can disobey, so, too, my thoughts must follow, my darling, far away. The sparkle of her laughter would give me greater joy than all the bronze-clad heroes. Isn't that nice? Another nice look at love she found there, that it can really, oh, beat out anything else in life. But how nice, we all remember Helen, Helen of Troy she's talking about, hmm, who left her family. Goes to show you, folks, that not only Helen of Troy is known, but the whole concept of love and the way people think of it, especially good poets like Sappho that, you know, and this is a while ago. You know, this was, well, around 600 B.C. That's a heck of a long while ago. But people were still in love then and looking to understand it and define it, and put it next to other things in their lives. And so, thank you, Sappho. I'll tell you what, that's a terrific poem. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, Magic Movie Moment. just still amazes me every week, and I, and I told the colonel that before. That xylophone player, it's a great arrangement of that theme, but that xylophone pay, player really keeps pace with the flute player. That can't be easy to do. They, they are locked together, and it makes it beautiful. It makes that theme really nice. Well, folks, 
the magic movie moment is a big favorite of mine because we all love movies. And there are some movies you love more than others because there's a scene in them or an actor in them or a piece of dialogue or a setting. Something that is just magical to you every time you see it. You may have seen it 30 times, but you look forward to that part every time. And here's one for me. McClintock, which is from 1963, and it's McClintock starring John Wayne. I was just smiling there because I said to the colonel, I said, well, I'm a big John Wayne fan anyway, but I said, McClintock, boy, and I know that movie. I've seen it many, many times. I said, if that name doesn't have an exclamation point next to it, it ought to. And he looked it up fast and he said, it does. It's a terrific movie. It's starring John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, Edgar Buchanan, Patrick Wayne, Yvonne DiCarlo, Chill Wills, Bruce Cabot, Jerry Van Dyke, Struther Martin, and Jack Crucian as Birnbaum. Now, I'm saying that. It sounds like I'm kidding, but I'm serious. Jack Crucian was one of the actors in the movie, and he had a big part as the owner of the general store, Birnbaum. And it's it's just one of the great things. Remember, this is 1963, and there was, you know, terrific things they would put in movies, and they would have, well, the best friend does this, and the neighbor does that. And uh, Birnbaum was a friend of McClintock, and they fought together, and they they did business together, and they, they really get along well. So that just mentioned, as I was looking up the cast before, I said, I want to plug Jack Crucian, too, because good for you. You did a great job, and I wish you well. I hope you're still well. In any case, John Wayne, Marino, how what a cast. Edgar Buchanan, a great movie actor, and uh, then became known as Uncle Joe on Petticoat Junction, and uh, Patrick Wayne, one of John Wayne's children, Yvonne DiCarlo, Chill Wills, Bruce Cabot, Jerry Van Dyke, Struther Martin, just enjoying reading those names again because they're all wonderful. And this is a classic John Wayne movie. What does the word classic mean there? Well, it's just great. It's It has every element you would want in it. It's got, well, it's got some fighting, it's got some fist fighting, but uh, John Wayne plays a great character, and he's, well, he's really, you know, respected and loved in the movie, and he's trying to get his wife back, that's Maureen O'Hara, and they were in love before, too, in the great movie The Quiet Man, which we've talked about before, the great John Wayne, John Ford movie, rather. And in McClintock, though, with the exclamation point, it's great. John Wayne is really John Wayne. In fact, one of the fans wrote in a note on it that said, uh, as a review that just said, what in the world is better than having John Wayne be John Wayne? And uh, I had to agree. I said, you know what? You're exactly right. He's not only tough in it, but he's loving. He loves his family. Plus, he's funny in it. He has a, you know, a great way of... Sometimes he gets the things he wants. He doesn't get the things he wants. It's a wonderful movie. See, see it sometime. But the reason I bring it up for a magic movie moment is there's a scene in it where the uh, local Indian tribe on the Indian reservation there, run by the Indian agency, the agent is Struther Martin, by the way, who's not very good at his job, and 
He just doesn't quite know how to run things. And uh, McClintock is always saying to, well, now, why don't you just sit down there and let these fellas do this? At any rate, they're, they, they're, it's, it's building to a big fist fight at the coal mine. And John Wayne is there, and one of the fathers has a daughter who was taken for a ride on a horse by, uh, I think it was Patrick Wayne, but no, or one of the one of the sons there. And the father is a big, tough pioneer, and he doesn't like that at all, that his daughter was taken for a ride there by a local boy, and nothing happened, that he was, he was a good kid, and the daughter was very happy, but this guy is, well, this guy is loaded for bear. He's angry, and he and his friends said they're going to go, and he gets... He faces up to John Wayne at the coal mine there. And by the way, seven or eight of the Indians are standing by watching. And everyone in the movie is there. There's going to be a big fist fight. And it's right next to uh, a big pit of coal. And uh, it's not gigantic. It's not hundreds of feet deep. It's just it's about 50 or 100 feet deep. And people can roll down it. And they do in this fight. But just before the fight starts, and it's going to be a big set piece. And it's everyone in the movie is going to be involved in it. And just before it starts, this guy, John Wynn, goes up to this father and he says, you know, listen, there she is. She came back and there's no need to take it to this. You don't have to get so angry. And he says, you know, McClintock, I want this and I want that and I'm going to, you know. And the guy just hauls off and punches John Wayne and kind of knocks him back on his feet a little there. And John Wayne now, having tried to make the peace, John Wayne says to him, now you listen to me. You're one of these guys I've been planning to punch right in the nose for 20 years. That's what you need. But I won't. I won't. The hell I won't. And then he just, bam! It's so well done. It's funny as well as tough. That's the actual words. That, but I won't. I won't. And he turns away. And then, the hell I won't. And Bob, boom! And a big John Wayne right hand. Just a clubhouse punch. At any rate, they do that. And the guy, of course, falls back into the coal pit. And that starts the fight. And everybody goes in there. Ed Edgar Buchanan, Maureen O'Hara is there. The same thing. And uh, Gordon Jones, who played Mike the Cop on the Abbott and Costello TV show. Gordon Jones is there. He's terrific in this. And uh, everybody just goes sliding down there. And they climb back up. And it's a big fist fight. And the Indians are loving watching it. And the chief says, oh, Thank you, Glintock. Good fight. We like good fight. But they, they had jokes in there from, well, 1963. That the Indians walk away. You know, it's a good fight, but they actually say things. They said, the chief says something like, Good fight, but you don't know whiskey. You don't bring whiskey. So we leave. Fight over. At any rate, uh, it's a terrific fight. And there's comedy in the fight, too. People don't see something coming. They, they turn, they climb up to the top of the pit, and they, whew, boy, that was rough. And somebody else just, whoa, just somebody else backs into the guy, and they both go tumbling back down into the pit now. But that moment in that scene, from when I was a kid to right now, is something I always look forward to. Right, I'm going to the angry guy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he hauls off and punches John Wayne, which is never a smart thing to do, by the way. Just as a tip, I know they've all passed on, but when you get to the next world, 
smile and say hello to John Wayne. Don't don't just haul off and punch him. And uh, boy, that thing though that for twenty years, boy, I I've been looking to, I've been I wanting to punch you right in the nose, but I won't, I won't, the hell I won't. Bam! Very well acted for drama and comedy, and that moment very well directed, very well everything. And very, very well John waned. So, thanks everyone. Everyone in that movie and everyone who made that movie. And thanks folks. See it. See McClintock sometime. You're going to like it a lot. It's just knuckle-headed enough to be terrific. And thank you, Jack Crucian. You played a great Burnbaum. And I'll always have, always think of you forever too in that movie. And, uh, well, John Wayne was in a lot. You know, he was in, uh, for goodness sake, it's John Wayne. But he was in a lot of uh, good war pictures. And I bring that up because this Saturday is the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. Isn't that something? It's 70 years it's been over. And uh, the deadliest war in history... The uh, mean estimate is 58 million casualties, deaths. And that's in the duration of six years as a war. It's a lot of people. But uh, I also said, when I saw that in the paper this morning, I also said to Jeff, when he got here to the studio, I said, uh, you know what, Saturday's the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II, and... I should say something about that. One, uh, let's figure some things out, some general topics. And I want to write some things up about that. And you know what, folks? There wasn't a lot to say. What I mean is I had the laptop open and I started to think about things to say about the end of World War II, about World War II, a huge dramatic conflict, good Lord, with, again, the the, the deadliest war in history, the, the, the most casualties, deaths, and Lord, it was, as you know, all over the world. That was a world war. It was all of Europe and England and all of, good Lord, North Africa. No, it's just saying North Africa is about a thousand miles of it. And and also in Greece and, and all the way through Russia, of course, and in India and Nepal and with the Japanese Good Lord, every island there in the Pacific, including well, the, the big, bigger chains like the Philippines. And, well, folks, you know what? I was just sitting there trying to think of things to say, but I realized I think we've all seen the things there are to say. There are great specials out there, great documentaries, and how do you like that? 70 years to the end of World War II... The colonel and I were looking this up before the show started that the, uh, well, six years again, 50, 58 million people and uh, in World War II casualties, they had some listings there. The Sino-Japanese War, the second one, because the first wasn't good enough apparently, but the Sino, that's Russian-Japanese and that was an you know, there were a lot of deaths there. And uh, we we looked up, they had the Three Kingdoms War in China, killed 37 million 
and lasted, get this, 96 years from 184 to 280, the years in, in A.D., 184 to 280, 96 years of a war called the Three Kingdoms War in China. So the first thing I thought was, what were the three kingdoms? I've never heard of this thing. They weren't four kingdoms. There weren't two kingdoms. There were three kingdoms. And in, good Lord, in 184 AD, how does anyone get insulted enough to have a war? I mean, that was in China. It was huge. And yet there you are. What were the three kingdoms? Who knows? World War One was 31 million killed in four years. And, well, the thing that came to my mind was how quickly things like World War II slip from our minds. We see a lot about them, but we can really say that there's nothing really to say about World War II, which is amazing. All the effort, all the lives lost, all the people wounded, all the expense, oh, good Lord, of making equipment to send all over the world. And, you know, in fact, just last week, the Japanese prime minister went to South Korea to apologize to the South Koreans because they really killed everyone in South Korea. They killed so many and they, he went to apologize, but the Koreans weren't having it. They, they didn't want him there. They didn't accept that. It wasn't good enough. And I agree with them. That's not good enough. So many of them were murdered by Japanese troops. Good Lord. And it was just people, too. It wasn't like they were fighting battles with their army. This was just going into villages and towns and cities and killing everyone. And so, you know what? And there were so many things that came out of World War II. Hell's Angels. The colonel was telling me that Hell's Angels, the motorcycle gang or club, I don't want to make them mad, but the, the Hell's Angels club were fighter pilots in World War II. They were veterans, and they were really, well, they were spun around by that, they, by the war. You know, we think now about, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the syndrome that follows you out of the war and the, uh, you know, what are the PTSD, uh, you know, that stays with you. And that's what happened to these guys. And they decided, you know what, they were through so much fighting and so much death and so much as fighter pilots that they came back. And in California, they said, we've had it. That's it. We're just going to head out there on motorcycles and stay out there. And that's what happened. And now there are Hell's Angels. And so, you know what? And you never know what's going to happen after a war. Jap Japan, the Japanese after World War II, really got into baseball and golf. You you all know that. You must. And, well, that happened soon. It's, it seems it happened so soon. General MacArthur and a lot all the Americans were still there in Japan, and the Japanese, well, they played golf and baseball every chance they got. So in any case, 
Saturday is the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II, but there's a better way to say that. Us winning World War II. We don't say that quite so much. And I'm going to say it here, and I think we should. So the bottom line is, I think for now, yes, World War II has ended. And uh, thank God it ended the way it did. And it ended because we ended it. It didn't end because all the bad guys just said, oh, that's enough. It ended because we beat all the bad guys. And what that means for the future, I don't know. In any case, let's uh, let's have a thought for those who gave so much and, uh, and, and made so many good movies about it. And that brings us to, by the way, Maggie the dog. I mentioned her. She was the, the leader of the dancers today, Maggie the Dog Dancers. She's our second dog, and that's why we're not in Milleronia again today. She's a great doggie. She's about six months old. And uh, our other dog, Ozzy here, whom we love so much, he's on the floor of the studio here right now, by the way. Why do I have to whisper? I don't know why I'm whispering there. But... Uh, Maggie is a big sweetheart. My wife fell for her. My wife fell in love with her, and she fell in love with my wife. There's someone at work was a foster parent. And then Maggie is just suddenly, she's in our house. She's the younger sister now to Ozzy, our dog. And Maggie is learning to pee and poop outside. I just say that. I've, I've mentioned that, I think, before. But it's important because she's learning. The word is learning. In other words, she's not done learning. And uh, that's why we're still not in Milleronia. Because, uh, I, you know, I was watching her and watching her. And we all watch her. And uh, I took her outside in the back. And she peed. And then she, though, before we got together today to do the show, she went twice in the house uh and that's number two. She did number two twice and just peed on the club chair that my wife just had reupholstered. And that is, yeah, even Colonel Jeff just went, <laughs> because you know what? My wife knows a lot about animals and she's, she's great with animals and she's going to come home from work. And well, sure enough, my, uh, one of my kids, Aaron saw that she, he was trying to get her out of the house again and, she just, you know, peed there. And, you know, this. I don't know about you, but that's as mad as I can get at a dog. I can't, you know, once they, they look at you when you, you say, how dare you do that, you, whatever whatever you're supposed to do. Or, you know, when people say, well, you roll up a magazine and you, you hit her with it five times. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what that accomplishes. I don't, I, I'm not the one to do that. Six times, sure, but not five. No, and and the point is though, she's she's great, and it's it's a good part of all of our lives when you can love someone like that. I don't love her yet, but I'm going to, and she's really happy to be here, and uh, she loves playing with Ozzy, and he loves playing with her. He's out cold now, because when they play, plays in quotes, they do dog play. You know, they're really 
you know, nipping and biting at each other, and they do that just running like leopards. I mean, they go fast all around the house. It's, it seems like 40 miles an hour. They're, and they're locked together by their mouths. They're not apart. They're touching each other as they go 40 miles an hour. And then that, you know, that's that stops. And because about a third of the time they're together, Ozzy, well, tries to make another Ozzy. And I think that's the way to put that. You know, Ozzy, God bless him, is a, is a dog, and he's he's acting like a dog. And uh, he gets on her and behind her. And that's just the way, and, and she's okay with that. She doesn't fight. That's what they do. Well, it's what we do, too. But, I mean, it's it's what they do as, as dogs. And then he, you know, does that for a while with that arched back. And then they stop and go running around the house again. And I I I don't know how to do anything else. And when my wife gets home, and uh, and you know I always I always tell her the truth, not not right away, but I mean I always tell her the truth, and uh, sure about where he where he went, and what he did, and uh, she rather, and uh, but I can't be more strict with Maggie than that. Uh, so there, I mean my younger son just. He woke up and got mad and was cursing at me for not watching her better. So now you know I'm very strict on Milleronia and have two deadly volcanoes to prove it. But at home, I'm just another husband-father who is used like a doormat. Little do they know, little do they know, folks. I'm planning to put in a volcano room right here in the house. A room with a smaller volcano all its own. So it's like a hot tub, but really hot. And uh, so you know what? We'll uh, we'll clean up after her, and we won't be mad. She's a sweet little dog, and that's, that's the update. I know that. And uh, she's just a little thing. There's not that much. And uh, But uh, you can pick everything up, and uh, it's neat the way she does it, so to speak. So that's, that's actually the good size. It's neat, pick upable, and then you spray it with that stuff in the spray bottle that uh, everyone has or everyone knows about, and then you move on with the day. The bad news is my wife will not be pleased when she gets home because of this, but I'll let you know about that, not right away, because I'll make sure I'm out of the house then. No, I'm just being silly. Of course I won't. I know that, and you know that, and once again, we know that together. We know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is the truest thing as always. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. 